Hello, I'm Gerald Greenfield, Director of the Center for International Studies at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, and this is University Forum. My guest on today's program is Oliver Hayward, Senior Lecturer in History at the University of Wisconsin Parkside and a specialist in Soviet Studies. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the Soviet Union, uh, particularly uh, in the light of the fact that uh, Dr. Hayward has been traveling to the Soviet Union now for something uh, like 10 years and uh, getting some of his impressions as to how things have changed uh, over that time. Uh, I think I'd like to begin by asking you uh, of the origins of your own interest uh, in the Soviet Union as a field for study. Sure, it came about in an almost accidental fashion. I was actually an undergraduate honors mathematics major until my junior year when I began to have some second thoughts about the viability of that field for my future career. And I happened to be taking a course at that time in the history of Russian foreign policy, which I found particularly in interesting and inspiring. And this was, of course, pretty much at the height of the Cold War, so the importance of the area seemed without question to me as something I'd want to know a great deal more about anyway. So I transferred from mathematics to history in my junior year and have never regretted the change. Well, I, I wonder then it shouldn't be any problem for someone with that background to clear up one thing. Soviet Union versus Russia, people use them interchangeably. Are they interchangeable? No, they're not interchangeable. It's important to make the distinction. Uh, the Soviet Union, as constituted after the revolutions of 1917, is made up of a number of constituent republics. At the present time, it's 15. Who knows how many it may be in the near future. Uh, but that gathering of constituent republics makes up the USSR, or Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. The largest of those republics by far, both in population and area, is the Russian Republic, or as we know it usually, Russia. Well, now, your own experiences, I understand it, uh, with leading trips uh, of both university students and uh, members of the Kenosha Racine community, uh, goes back something around 10 years? Yes, my first trip was in 1980. I wonder if you could tell us about organizing that trip uh, and, and how it went. Oh, it was a fascinating experience and I have to say many times along the way I wondered what I was doing. But it, it occurred, first of all, at a particularly difficult time in U.S.-Soviet relations. It was just after the invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviets and President Carter's green embargo had been put in place and turned out, in fact, to be remarkably successful. So we were going there at a time when feelings were not altogether positive between the two countries. Uh, I, surprisingly enough, didn't have too much difficulty getting a group together. They seemed to be very much interested in going over and taking a look for themselves. And the experience in the Soviet Union was particularly edifying because despite the relations at the national governmental level, uh, the Soviet people were very warm and friendly to us, and we had actually a marvelous time. And now, as we've mentioned, over the years you've uh, led trips with great regularity, and I'd like to ask you to reflect on that, if you would, in, in two different ways. Uh, first, uh, I imagine that traveling with a group of people, students and community members, to uh, a foreign country, especially one so sufficiently foreign to uh, United States experiences, the Soviet Union, uh, might produce a, a number of interesting incidents. And I wonder if you might recall some 
uh, highlights and lowlights, uh, if you will, of, of some of those trips over the year. Surely, the, the very first trip had a particularly large number of them, perhaps because I didn't yet know enough about organizing trips and selecting the members thereof. But in particular, I had a, a woman on the first trip who, shortly after arriving in the Soviet Union, established a warm personal relationship with a Soviet citizen and proceeded to carry out this uh, relationship through the remainder of the trip in defiance of virtually every law and regulation on the books in the Soviet Union, which at that time was particularly aimed at preventing much contact on a real close level between Soviets and visitors. And uh, at a certain point it became clear she was getting herself into serious uh, legal difficulties and we had in fact a confrontation of sorts involving the principal parties and myself and another leader of the group and uh, a representative of the KGB and the hotel administration and the local police force and so forth in which we sort of worked out the uh, differences of viewpoint on this particular subject. And the woman was very effective. She sort of made it into a kind of emotional aspect uh, referring to seeing the massive grave of victims of World War II in Leningrad which she said in effect had sort of destabilized her and that was a very effective argument. That was one thing that they, they had to accept uh, as pretty valid. So we got off with basically just a kind of warning, and she pretty much minded her ways after that. Have there been other brushes with Soviet officialdom over the years? Yes, uh, most often in reference to drugs, the possibility in some cases of some of the visitors bringing in drugs or having something to do with alleged drug dealers in the Soviet Union. And the Soviet officials are very hard on drug abuse, as is the case in many parts of the world. Um, so I would say that's the most frequent form of, of uh, confrontation that may occur. None of the Parkside people, to my knowledge, have, have, however, ever been guilty of any kind of misdeed in that area. Now, if you <clears throat> reflect on these, uh, these years of travel in, in perhaps a larger sense, obviously you've seen a lot of changes uh, in the Soviet Union over that period of time. And I wonder if you could perhaps just reflect and trace for us some of the ways in which uh, you've seen differences uh, year after year as you've gone back. Yes, uh, referring back to that same episode, uh, whereas in 1980 there was a strong desire to avoid letting Americans have very much to do with, with Russians or other Soviet people on a person-to-person -person basis, in the last few trips, starting since Gorbachev took office, uh, it's much easier for our people to have lots of contact with Soviet citizens. And quite frankly, today it's almost become a bit of a uh, problem because the black marketeers have taken full advantage of this opportunity and they're now present in the hotels. When you arrive at a new hotel in the Soviet Union, we learn immediately where the black market room is, which is just astonishing to me. That would not have been taking place 10 years ago. Uh, there's been a very decided change in attitude in, in areas like that. Could you just elaborate a bit? I'm intrigued. In a black market room, is this currency or are there other objects? Other objects, probably more so than currency, but they always make an overture regarding exchanging currency as part of the total transaction. But uh, they are always eager to pick up Western items, uh, jeans, but they have to be designer jeans and they have to be new jeans and the proper labels and so forth. Uh, various kinds of uh, uh, technological equipment, uh, hi-fis and, and whatever you may have in that. Walkmen are very popular, for example. And uh, you can get, as I understand it, very good prices for many of those items in these uh, special rooms, which, as I said, would have been unthinkable 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And 
As a constant, it does seem uh, that the Soviet citizens themselves, however, have generally been intrigued with Americans and, and, and cordial. Is, would that be an appropriate characterization? Absolutely. Uh, wonderfully cordial. I, I liken them to Americans, in fact. They tend to be very generous and very concerned for your well-being. There's a famous story about a uh, journalist who was walking along the streets of Moscow one day in the wintertime, and he was suddenly grabbed and taken into a building by which he was walking, and people began beating on his face, and he thought he'd just been snatched by the KGB for some misdeed and was in deep trouble. It turned out some people had seen his face and determined that he was about ready to have frostbite, and they grabbed him, took him inside, uh, patted his face, which evidently is a appropriate treatment, at least over there, for that problem, and uh, perhaps did in fact save him from considerable discomfort. And this was to total strangers, uh, and it's not at all uncharacteristic of the behavior I've seen over there as well. Now, as we look at the Soviet Union today and over the last uh, couple of years since Gorbachev, was, uh, since you brought him up, uh, it seems that it's an area undergoing uh, fundamental change, uh, and it's sometimes very difficult to keep track of of precisely what is going on or make sense of it. I wonder if you could share some of your own impressions as a specialist who also has first-hand experience in the area as to what's going on in the Soviet Union. Sure, I'll try, although I have to confess this is something in which change occurs so rapidly that I always feel I'm somewhat behind the what's actually happen, happening. The most positive area, it seems to me, clearly is the openness of Soviet society today compared to, again, say 10 years ago or earlier. Uh, ten years ago, you had such a strong sense of the distrust of the government of its own citizens and in how it tried to prevent them from having contact with Westerners and how basically it interfered with almost any expressions of opinion and, and viewpoints other than those of the government. Uh, in the last five years, the freedom of the uh, people to express themselves has just turned almost completely around. And today, one is sometimes astonished with the openness with which people talk to you about the problems in the country out in the open where it's clearly possible they may be overheard. Um, and they're very forthright and, and highly critical, in fact, of many aspects of the system today. And I've, I regard that as much more comfortable than when I first went there and found this much more repressive attitude toward freedom of expression. Do you think uh, there's much speculation about the actual shape of the Soviet Union uh, in, in the years to come with various of the its constituent republics seeking independence? Do you have any thoughts about the, the likely outcome of this? Uh, as a historian, I've learned to be real careful about making predictions. But if I were forced to the wall in this area, I would say I think it highly likely that, for example, the Baltic states will eventually gain a position that will be largely free of Soviet control, though they may have some sort of connection still with a, a larger entity that may not be called the USSR anymore. Uh, some of the Slavic republics, I expect, may well stay somewhat closer to the, to the structure as it stands today. In Central Asia, it's hard to tell because it's difficult to see how they would be viable as separate uh, political bodies, so I guess I think they might also find a looser relationship with Moscow, but still be part of a broader um, political structure. And then one more uh, very well-loaded question about the present. Uh, as we read about these things, we non-specialists in the newspapers, 
Uh, almost everything seems caught up with the remarkable personality of Gorbachev and his decisions. Uh, is this something that goes beyond a single person? Absolutely. One of, in fact, one of Gorbachev's great accomplishments, in my opinion, is that the changes that he has initiated now, I think, are in place to the extent that even if he is removed from office, most of them will remain intact, and that's a remarkable accomplishment indeed. Uh, it's very difficult to get a reading as to what his future tenure in office is likely to be. There is enormous criticism of him today in the Soviet Union, yet the freedom to criticize him in itself, I think, is an important fact to bear in mind in this regard. And they're really, in part, I think, indulging something they've been denied for decades until very recently. And I think a lot of Soviet citizens, while they are very dissatisfied with Gorbachev's um, progress to date in delivering on his promises are still not clear that there's an alternative at the present moment available that would be superior to him as president. Well, you're going to again have an opportunity to glean some first-hand knowledge. Uh, you are planning, as I understand it, to be leading a trip again to the Soviet Union this year. Yes, that's correct. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, well, first of all, the itinerary, where, where in fact you will be going and uh, the particular dates? Surely. We're leaving on the 14th of March and returning on the 28th, and our itinerary includes Leningrad, um, Moscow, and in between we'll be traveling to the Crimea, where we'll see the cities of Odessa and Yalta, and it is my hope we'll visit a couple of palaces along the Black Sea, and, and this will be, I think, a particularly interesting part of the trip. Uh, Moscow and Leningrad, however, are really the focal points of the changes that are occurring right now, so they too should be an especially interesting place to be in uh, the immediate future. Oh, I, I wonder, given the news that we have out of the Soviet Union, what kind of reception you expect to find, uh, both in terms of the people and in terms of, uh, say, availability of, uh, of products, food supplies. Uh, we read that the, the shelves are emptying and rationing is in effect. Yes. Um, curiously enough, the Ukrainian Republic, which is where we'll be in effect visiting when we go to the Crimea, is still very well off in food. That's mostly because they produce it there and they've been doing their best to hold on to it and not allow it to be shipped up to the northern cities. So I don't anticipate any particular signs of shortages there, and if anything from the reports I read, the people there are, are prospering more than usual. Moscow and Leningrad traditionally, however, have been showcase cities in which the regime has always attempted to make sure there's plenty of goods available. And today, as I understand it, Moscow and Leningrad are suffering by the comparison with past performances because the rest of the country is not quite so ready to ship their goods to those two big cities as they have been. So there may be more evidence of shortages in Moscow and Leningrad. As tourists, however, we tend to be pampered and really subjected to the same sorts of limitations that the rest of the population uh, experiences. Well, it sounds like a fascinating opportunity. Uh, if there were people who were interested in finding out more about this trip, uh, how would they uh, proceed on that? Uh, just have them call me, and my phone number at Parkside is 553-2467, or if they can't reach me, just call the History Department office, which is 553-2316, and I'll be happy to send out uh, the information I have available, and I, of course, love to talk about it with them, so I be glad to answer any further questions. Well, it sounds like it will really be a fascinating experience, and that leads me to be uh, asking another question about those trips over the years, and that would be not in terms of yourself and things you've seen, but uh, 
in terms of your students, what's what's the benefit to, to taking a, a trip of the type that you're describing? One of the biggest, biggest satisfactions to me is to see students mature in the course of a two-week trip. Many of our students have never been out of the Middle West, and to have them undertake a trip that, which is very long and in some respects physically arduous to an area that they have no immediate knowledge of in the past, and to see how they kind of blossom and respond to the challenges and find out what there is to learn about the rest of the world they never dreamed of in the past makes it one of the most satisfying experiences that I can imagine. And I think our students come back just uh, very much uh, with a broader view of the world and specific knowledge, of course, of the USSR. Are there any very specific kinds of uh, student highlights that stand out in your mind at all? Uh, perhaps we have time to share one or two of those. Uh, students have a wonderful uh, flair for making friends on very short notice. And in the process, they often get themselves invited into the homes of Soviet citizens, uh, get to see living conditions, get to often establish uh, contacts that continue after they return to this country. We have a number of people still corresponding with friends in the Soviet Union. Um, and now those opportunities are increasing with phone calls and sometimes even the possibility of visits. Uh, well, that sounds like a remarkable opportunity, and uh, I certainly envy your opportunity to have uh, participated so often in these, these wonderful trips. I've been talking today with Oliver Hayward, Senior Lecturer in History at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, about uh, his experiences in the Soviet Union over the past uh, decade. On next week's University Forum, uh, Professor Joseph Larkin and his guest will be discussing a topic in the field of education. Please do join us. University Forum is sponsored by UW Parkside and UW Extension in cooperation with WGTD-FM. Our engineer is Kate Owen. For the University Forum, this is Gerald Greenfield. Thanks for listening.